sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Line up, ladies! The early line. But when you don't have your actual running back or... This is Sports Grid. Get on the grid. It's Masters Week here on Sports Grid and on Fantasy Sports Today as we get ready to kick off the first ever Augusta Masters in the month of November. We'll have a preview of that coming up a little bit later in the show. Also, of course, some fantasy football discussion. A couple of awards given away last night to the American League and National League in terms of Manager of the Year. And Joe's favorite name in all of football, Dustin Crum, was on full display last night. Joe, you're going to have to start getting used to his name because he's going to be a player in fantasy football that will have to keep an eye on the quarterback of Kent State. 62 points scored last night, Crum, uh, with four touchdowns in the first half. I know you're all over that Mac action, Joe, but get, get, <laughs> get used to saying that name, Crum, because it's coming. I'm, I'm it's coming all for it. I'm all for it. I want to be at the table with all the crumbs if he's going to put up that kind of a point total. I'm very excited about that. And uh, everyone else should be in college football and in real football as well. Uh, but uh, my forever favorite college football name of all time will always be Rodrigo Blankenship. Forever and always. The greatest name with the greatest goggles, glasses, whatever they are. They're amazing. They've always been my favorite. I'm so happy to see him in the NFL doing so well this year. But crumb is another great name. There's no doubt about that. Are you enjoying your Mac action? Seems like the uh, the action out there is uh, really exciting a lot of folks these days. Yeah, well, it's good to have college football on Tuesday night. We got some action again tonight. But that player in particular is someone that played very well in the bowl game last year, and he's off to a really good start. His name is not going to percolate at all right now with everything else going on, but I would tell you that at some point we will be talking about him in the NFL, I think, uh, with the Kent State Golden Flashes. Unbelievable performance for him last night. All right, today also is Veterans Day, folks. Before we get the show started, I want to make sure that we honor our veterans and let everybody know that we're thinking about you today. Certainly that is the most important thing to discuss as we start the show. We have plenty of sports to talk about, but there's no doubt that honoring uh, the people who fought for our country and are, are still alive or have lost lives, definitely worth mentioning at the start today on this November 11, 2020. Okay, with that being said, let's start off and give you the fantasy sports headlines for today here on this Wednesday. A lot of SEC games have been canceled already this week due to COVID-19. Alabama, LSU, they're out. Uh, Texas A&M, Tennessee, they're out. Georgia, Missouri, they're out. So three games in the SEC out this week. They'll make those games up. They've got to make those games up in order to get the SEC season finished. NBA is going to officially play 72 games. Not really a huge disappointment, I think. Only missing out on a few. A little bit of a shortened schedule, but they're going to play that thing out almost in full. The NHL is discussing a temporary realignment to avoid some of the COVID issues in 2020, 2021, because their season's getting ready to start soon, too. And then over in baseball, we had two awards last night. Tonight, we'll have two more. Kevin Cash named the American League Manager of the Year. Another great season for Cash and the Tampa Bay Rays. And Joe, Don Mattingly named the National League Manager of the Year. Marlins, of course, had all kinds of issues throughout the season. Mattingly and the team were able to overcome them, get over 500, and get into the postseason for the first time in 17 years. So uh, well-deserved for Don Mattingly, who, by the way, is not in the Hall of Fame. And and maybe, just maybe, something like this will help his cause. Although he's not really close when the Veterans Committee have voted. Maybe this makes him a little bit closer. 
Oh, Donnie Baseball and anybody who grew up in the New York City area during the height of Don Mattingly knows how great of a player he was. It's unfortunate that the back injury really took its toll on him and shortened a brilliant career. He was a great defensive player. He was a great average hitter, great power hitter, a, a smaller guy too by the standards of a lot of those teams. And unfortunately, a lot of those Yankee teams didn't have a lot of great success. I mean, they were teams that kind of sniffed the playoffs, didn't always make it. Had they had more wild cards back then and a different alignment in the American League, I think you would have seen more Don Mattingly in the playoffs. So those Yankee teams with Dave Winfield and those guys won a ton of games. You remember 90 something games. I think one year they, they almost won a hundred games and didn't make the playoffs, right? Because of the structure of the way it was back then. And I think if you're looking back on it, had he had more postseason, had he had a couple more moments, maybe he would have had that ring. Maybe things would be a little different from perception, but there's no doubt in my mind this year, the best managerial job has to go to Don Mattingly, not just from managing the baseball operational part of it and we're talking about the day-to-day -day field stuff we're talking about the off the field stuff the COVID stuff how they were the team where this kind of ran rampant and he got them back on the field got them back focused was able to get the most out of a team with a low payroll on top of it that is an incredible job there by Don Mattingly. We forget, Craig, that managing baseball players is more than just looking at the spreadsheets and looking at the stat breakdowns. It's about the people. It's about believing in them. It's about getting the most out of what you've got on those guys in that particular day. And I think Don Mattingly deserves all the credit in the world. I hope he enjoys this award because he deserves it. And on the flip side, Kevin Cash does too. You know, people want to make those comments about Kevin Cash in the last game of the World Series. I'm not listening to that noise. I told you how I felt about that. You can't win any game score in one run. Sorry, do not hang this on Kevin Cash. He did a phenomenal job. Florida right now can be very proud of both of their managers that are baseball teams. And I know they're not real close together. You don't have to give me the geography lesson again. But Kevin Cash is worthy of this as well. I mean, what an incredible job by him in a short season, getting everything out of this small payroll and the talent that he had. So good job by these two guys. Great job by Major League Baseball to reward them for uh, an incredible, incredible season of managing. Yeah, and, and Mattingly uh, afterward did an, did an interview, a, a teleconference. I was on the, the conference and, and talked about how before – it was determined that they essentially didn't do anything wrong, except for they weren't really that careful wearing the masks. There was a thought uh, on a phone call at two o'clock in the morning one night while they were stuck in their hotel that Major League Baseball was going to shut them down if they mm -hmm. found essentially that there were any findings that were egregious. And they thought maybe that, were, that he thought maybe there was a chance of that. But again, once they did the investigation and didn't find that, it was uh, you know it was poor by the Marlins not taking full precaution. But also, I think, a poor job elsewhere of reporting things that honestly never happened. So uh, part of that was really good to see Don Mattingly win. You're right, Kevin Cash, very deserving as well. All right, we got more baseball news to cover. The Mets have a new owner, and he talked about being the new owner yesterday. We'll talk about that. Racing. The SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. We got a lot of baseball news to cover today here on the show. Of course, the qualifying offer for some will be accepted, for most will be declined. Take a look at what Marcus Stroman put out earlier today of the New York Mets. 
he will be accepting the qualifying offer from the Mets, or at least that's what he's saying. And by the way, the way that it works, and I was on the phone about this actually this morning, is that no one actually, Joe, de- declines the qualifying offer. Like, I-, I got a really good sense of it now because of, you know, one player in particular that's involved in this. Mm-hmm. There's no declining the offer. It's just basically you call to accept it or you do nothing. That's the way the qualifying offer works. So uh, Stroman is saying that he's going to accept it. So he'll be part of the Mets in 2020. Joe and I are going to talk about that coming up. But what we want to do first is let you hear from the new owner of the New York Mets in Steve Cohen. Uh, He had a press conference yesterday. A lot of people thought it went over very well. We're going to play some of it for you here today. Uh, Cohen was asked about essentially taking over the club and what his expectations were moving forward. I'm not going to speak about, you know, the the Mets previous to my ownership. But what I am going to say is that you know, we're going to build a professional organization. Um, we're going to build out our processes and, and uh, whether it's analytics, whether it's scouting, whether it's, uh, you know, development of players. Um, you know, we want to be excellent in all areas of this game. Um, that's going to require resources, and I'm fully committed to making that happen. Um, you know, I, I'm not in this to be mediocre. You know, that's just not my thing. You know, I I want something great. And, of course, it'll take a lot of new players to make the Mets great. They do have a couple of good hitters, but the pitching over the last few years has gone the other way. And he was asked specifically about how the team could potentially get upgrades this offseason. My sense is that uh, we have holes to fill. The the Mets previously, you know, clearly we need to, you know, fill a catching and we need to, um, uh, you know, we need more pitching. Uh, we have a pretty good core of, of, of core offensive players. I think that, you know, so we have, we have good young players, you know. We have the best pitcher in baseball. I think that helps a lot. Um, so we have, we have a lot to build around. And so, uh, but, you know, we came in fourth three years in a row. So, you know, the results speak for themselves. And Joe, before we get to Sandy Alderson, the president of baseball operations, I I feel like most people that are Mets fans are excited. And I don't think that they know what they're excited for, but they just know that they're (laughs) excited because it's different, right? It's different. It's new. It's a new owner. And he's saying all the right things. And Joe will just have to see if that ends up being the case. Well, saying all the right things is a start, Craig. I mean, how about the whole thing of I'm not in this to be mediocre? Outside of the 2015 run, it's been a whole lot of mediocre. Let's be honest. Let's tell the truth here. This is what it's been. So right off the bat, you could tell that this guy is in it because he wants to be successful with it. He's not in it just as a business investment. His idea is to be a successful franchise. And that's something that the Mets have not been consistently. And it's frustrating because of the size of the media market we're in, because they have their own network, because of all those other things that they can bring to the table. And they've made a lot of bad decisions, a lot of penny pinching over the years. And frankly, yeah, I think a lot of us Met fans out there are just happy for something different. And I think this something different seems to have a different motivation than the last group of owners. Yep, we'll find out. Uh, Sandy Alderson, who was part of the previous regime, is now back to run the baseball operations and had a lot of thoughts on moving the Mets forward and specifically referring to a story of the perception as to how most Mets fans may view them inside of New York City. When I first joined the Mets in 2010, I remember walking by bus stops in Manhattan, and it, you know, it, it, there, there were, um, there were 
somebody had built a, an advertising campaign around the sort of ineptitude of the New York Mets. Uh, that didn't feel good. Um, and we, you know, we went about trying to change that perception. And for a period of time, I think maybe we were successful. But we, we can't do it just periodically. You don't change perception without some sort of consistently uh, successful message. And that message comes from all the things that we do. It's not just making a trade, you know, that turns out well or turns out poorly. It's, it's all the other little things. It's the phone calls to, to fans. It's, uh, it, again, it's a sum of all of those impressions. So you don't change the perception without changing the reality. You're not going to. They're not often the same, but you're not going to have a positive perception for long if, you know, the underlying facts don't just, just don't support it. So we have to do a lot of things well. And I think Steve is going to go a long way toward changing that narrative. I really do. It's going to give us some, some uh, leeway. Um, you know, with the Mets often or anything, you know, I used to say this about the umpires. If you, if an umpire makes a mistake, there are two different reactions that can result. The average fan will say, ah, they all stink. They all make mistakes. They're terrible. They stink. But if you've created an environment where somebody can respond and say, you know what? These guys are great, but everybody makes a mistake once in a while. And so it's really about changing the underlying perception so that when things happen, they're not interpreted, you know, consistently negatively or, or, or uh, you know, in some other fashion that, that is, doesn't put the, the team in best light. So, uh, you know, I'll stop talking, but I, I think that, you know, we got we to gotta change the perception, but I think, you know, Steve's going to give us a real chance to do that. All right, so I thought that that comment was interesting because I think that what Sandy Alderson was referring to without coming out and saying it is, oh, it's the Mets, right? Oh, what could happen to the Mets? Cespedes and a pig or or Noah Syndergaard (laughs) getting the hand, foot, and mouth. Like all of those things happen through the years and the narrative is, oh, it's just the Mets. And so what Alderson is out to do, Joe, and what Steve Cohen is out to do I think is to change that because it just appears that we just go right back to that every single time when it comes to that club. But maybe if some good things happen, it would just be considered a little bit less. Uh, it's impossible. It has been impossible to do the last few years. Look, that's all some great audio that you were able to pull. And we're very lucky to have that on the show. And I think that, uh, you're right. Perception is important, but perception really begins and ends with wins and losses on the field. And they're in a good spot because some of the players they have, the guys like Pete Alonzo, like McNeil, like Dominic Smith, these are players that the fan base really likes. They really have clung on to that. You know, the effort levels there, even if once in a while, the performance level isn't up to where they want to be. They do have the best pitcher in baseball or arguably that with Jacob deGrom, I think getting some more depth there, bringing Stroman Brack is a great idea. But it ha- it can't stop there. And I think that's always the problem. Mets fans kind of look at it and say, okay, well, we just kind of do this and then we stop. And I think that's the difference. And if you want to change the perception, the culture, and it's the same thing the Jets go through in New York. Same thing the Knicks have gone through in New York. Different regimes, different things. It's, it's constantly moving pieces. It's constantly, we're going to do better this time. We're going to do better this time. And then it falls flat. And it's difficult. It becomes an abusive relationship, basically, between the fan and the team. And I think Steve Cohen is going to obviously go in there and change everything he can. But at the same time, I think bringing Alderson in is fascinating because this is a guy from the inside that can tell you what was working and what wasn't. And 
I'm curious to see how this works out. I am not sold on this yet. I think there's something about cleaning house with everybody, but I understand the thought process of bringing in somebody who was working within and did, to a certain extent, have some success with this organization, even if it wasn't, as you were alluding to, sustained success in this organization. So therefore, at this point in time, I'm going to give it some leeway. I'm going to trust the process. I'm going to see what he's able to do, because I do believe that, yes, changing the culture is good. Yes, changing ownership, good. General manager, good. All that stuff is good. But at the end of the day, it's about the product on the field. And if you start having a good product in the field that equals wins, then you can shrug off of that same old Mets mentality that I think a lot of the fan base has. Yeah, and I think that it'll be important for not just for them to spend money, which we know they're going to have to do. But realistically speaking, you're hearing what I think a lot of probably fans are saying to themselves, too, is that. Joe, you just simply can't go out and spend money every year and just expect to be sustainable. Some of those players have to come within the organization. And, and Nimmo and Conforto and uh, Jimenez. I mean, they have players that have done that. It just needs to be more. You have to have more ready to go. We'll be right back with the update. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Fantasy Sports Today right here on SportsGrid. And it's Wednesday, and that means it's time for some four downs with my good friend and your good friend, Benny Richardi. Benny, I know you got a big announcement this past week, too. You're just really important people these days. I heard you got a new gig over to a place where they don't care for noise. They're not big fans of noise. Do they realize they hired you because you're like the noisiest guy I know? And that's saying a lot because we're both in Jersey. Well, that's why they don't like it. We're fade the noise. So that's the uh, whole point of it. You got to fade <laughs> the noise when there's too much of it going on. And, you know, that's what it is. But, yeah, I'm. I'm honestly, I'm really excited about it. You know, I love the team over there. Brad's a good guy. You know, Kevin, who is their CEO, was a guy I worked with at Elite. Josh was a guy I worked with at Roto Curve before here. So I feel like I'm just taking all my old. It's, it's like when you call your old girlfriend, Joe. You know, when you break up, you call all the old girlfriends around. Apparently, all my old girlfriends hang out together now. So it was real easy for me to get back together with them. So it was well, good. Well, look at that. Everything old is new again. I guess you can go home with all those fun platitudes and all those things. But nobody cares about that. What we care about is the future, what's going on. So let's talk a little four downs, but congratulations to you. It's a great hire by FTN, and we're excited for you and obviously excited uh, for all the subscribers that they get to spend some quality time with you because you're a good time, and that's why we have you on the show. So let's start with first down. Looking ahead to week 10 in the NFL, we got the Chargers going to Miami. Miami's defense playing much better. Tua looked a little bit more Tua-esque, if you will. I'm not sure if that's a word, but I'm going to pretend like it is right now. And all of a sudden, Miami's in that playoff hunt, and the Chargers really have trouble getting out of their own way, let's be honest. So I know you want to talk a little bit about the over-under in this game, which is 48. So uh, the floor is yours. What is it about this game that intrigues you on the total? Yeah, so I actually think that I, I don't understand the movement on this. This actually opened at 50, and it's already down to 48. If you look at Miami with Tua on the center, they've been playing a lot faster. So you would expect more points. Now, they Arizona, but it's not just the Arizona side of that last game. It was both sides of the game where Miami was playing faster. They were playing faster on offense, and they were also, you know, had Arizona faster on defense, which is going to lead to a lot more points in these games. The other thing I like about this is you look at the Chargers. 
the, the last five games for the Chargers with, you know, Justin Herbert on the center, this is a team that has basically gone over their total in five straight games right now. So you have two teams that are playing faster. You have two teams that are putting up points that are going over the total. You know, people look at the Chargers and even Miami and say, hey, two pretty good defenses here, which I completely agree with. But if you're going to have a, a pace that's this fast, I think there's going to be a lot of points in this game. So whether we're talking DFS or whether we're talking sports betting, I like a lot of points to be scored here. I'm betting the over in this game, and I'm going to have a lot of exposure to it for DFS as well. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of the overs this year are kind of the way to go, typically speaking, especially when we see anything with the four. I mean, you see the one with the four nowadays. Basically, to me, it just pops, and I go, okay, well, I might as well just go over it because that where the trend of everything going in the NFL. While I got you on this game, we asked a question yesterday. I'd like to get your uh, two cents, if you will. I know you guys got a couple cents in your pocket, so let's uh, let's see how much common sense you got. Tua has already moved up after two games to 9-1 to one on the Rookie of the Year board. Is that surprising to you? Herbert right now is still the favorite. Burrow is second. But if Tua gets this team into the playoffs, does he have a shot at that award realistically? I mean, I think he has a shot at it. You know, it's really, it's really going to matter what the other guys do going forward mm-hmm. because the other guys have been doing it a little bit longer. Right now, right. you know, Justin Herbert has been, to me, he's been the best of the three of them. But you never know. I mean, if one of these guys gets hurt, if Tua, like you said, if Tua takes down the playoffs, there's a lot of things that can happen between now and then. So nine to one, I think about a ten percent chance is what a nine to one, uh, you know, odds are. Yeah, I do think he has about a ten percent chance, but he's going to need a couple things to break in order for that to really come about. All right, let's move on to second down here. Philadelphia Eagles. They are three and a half point favorites against the Giants. And those New York Giants, Benny, they're really pesky. Let me tell you, they just hang in games all the time and. You know, I, I think we all agree on a personnel basis. They don't necessarily match up well against anybody, but yet every mm-hmm. week they play hard every week despite losses. They kind of show up now. They're coming off a W this past week. But in your opinion here, what's interesting about this three and a half line that you think makes it worth attacking? Yeah, so you look at the Eagles side of it. The Eagles are the 29th ranked DVOA offense. So mm-hmm. that's not good. But I mean, obviously, there's only 32 teams. If you're ranked 29th, that's not good. But there's some things here that are underlying these numbers that I don't think people are giving enough credit to. So the last game they played, they had the bye last week. So they're out of people's minds. People aren't thinking about it right now. But the game before the bye that they played, they got Jalen Rieger back. They also got Dallas Goddard back. This week, and again, we're doing this in the middle of the week. So you got to see, you got to check the injury reports. But the reports so far are that Alshon Jeffrey and Miles Sanders are going to be back. Now, if we remember, one of the reasons why this offense has been ranked 29th DOA so far this year is that they haven't had any of their good players. You know, they're picking guys up off the streets and throwing them out there and letting them go 70, 80 percent of the snaps on wide receiver at this point. I mean, Joe and I were about to drive down to Philly and see if we could get in on the next practice. But all that is gone now. I mean, they got they're starting to get all these guys back. They're starting to get healthy. You know, this is a team that's always relied on the tight end. And both of their tight ends were hurt. So now you have Goddard back there. You're going to get Miles Sanders. You're running back back you got some of these wide receivers coming back in the mix you got you know Jalen Rieger your deep threat you got Alshon Jeffrey who's going to factor into it this offense is light years ahead of what they were the offensive line still a question mark but when you have some weapons which Carson Wentz has now I think they're going to be able to put up some points here yes the Giants are coming off a win but it's a win against the Washington Redskins so it's not something that I'm going to give them a lot of credit for here three and a half I think is a, is a really good number I think it should be at least a point or two higher and honestly, we got to start looking at this Philly offense as one that's going to put up some better numbers going forward, too. So like the Philly offense, love the three and a half in this game. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised because, you know, although I agree with everything you're saying about Philadelphia getting healthy, and you're absolutely right, Miles Sanders coming back is a huge addition to this team. However, it's those Giants. They're like cover machines this year. I don't know. I struggle with this, but, you know, like uh, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. I think you can make a great point because maybe this is where the trend reverses itself a little bit. Maybe this is the opportunity where we start to go look at the data too much and not really live in the present. And I think that's what you're trying to get everybody to recognize is that, hey, yeah. this Eagles team is a little bit different than the last time they faced him, which I think is a great point. Uh, let's go. Yeah, go well, ahead. Let me add one more thing. Yeah, too, sure. thing too. You made a good point and a point that a lot of betters need to understand. When a team is covering a lot, like the Giants have been lately, you start getting less points. You know, when you're an underdog right. and, you, and you haven't been covering it's seven, it's eight, it's nine. <laughs> when you're an underdog and you have been covering, it starts going down from seven, eight, nine to three to four to two. That's when you stop covering, when, it, when the spread starts getting a little closer. So I think that's what's happening to the Giants now. I think the Giants at this point are getting too much respect and Philly's not getting enough. And that's why I like the three and a half. All right. Let's see how much respect you got for the Seattle and Rams game. The over under this one's 55 and a half. Uh, clearly, with the way Seattle's giving up points to wide receivers, we got to look at this one. So, for you, is it Woods? Is it Cooper Cup? Is it the tight ends? Is it all hands on deck? How do you approach this? And can Jared Goff bounce back here after the bye, after basically getting you know punched in the mouth there for repeatedly by mm -hmm. the Miami Dolphins? And obviously, we know Seattle. Look, Seattle, we know their offenses. We know what they're going to do. But I'm more curious about your side of the Rams on this because I want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so the Rams is actually the side that I'm the most interested in in this game. Seattle is giving up the most points to quarterbacks, fantasy points. They're giving up the most fantasy points to wide receivers. So to me, I mean, Jared Goff, if you can't do it in this matchup, you're never going to be able to do it. You know, I mean, this is this is the topic I've been doing. And you know what? The Rams, as much as people are like banging on the Rams this year, they have the fifth ranked offense in the league right now, DVOA. So this is a very good offense. They're going up against one of the worst defenses in the league. And then the thing I love about this game, I mean, we have a huge total here. What's it say now? Around 55. I don't know if it moved today. That's what it was the other day. But you look at Seattle, Seattle scores 34 points a game. They give up 30 points a game. So really, most of their games are averaging 64 points, which is an absolutely ridiculous number for an NFL team. Those are numbers we see in college teams, not for right. NFL teams right now. So you can basically, if you just went all season long and just took Seattle and whoever they were playing, and for DFS, just stacked up both sides, take the quarterback of whoever they're playing with a bunch of his pass catchers, take Russ Wilson on another line, a bunch of his pass catchers, you're probably going to have a pretty good year if you went about doing it that way. And I don't see any reason why this game wouldn't be the same. I actually lean to the Rams winning this game, although I'm not betting on it. The spread's like one or two points. It's kind of mm -hmm. low right here. But the one thing I do like is I do like points here. I do think we're going to see 55, 60 points, and that's going to be great for fans. Now, do you approach the running backs at all in this game, or are you just going strictly with the wide receivers here? Yeah, I, I mean, again, Seattle, we're going to have to see what happens. Uh, you know, DJ Dowers, Chris Carson, I have no idea how that's going to work out. I don't think anybody else does no. either at this point. On the other side, though, for the Rams, the Rams, the Rams is one of the worst for me, to be honest. I just I can't. I, there's no rhyme or reason to who gets the carries, when they get the carries, how many carries they're getting. I like certainty when I'm playing fantasy, when I'm playing DFS. I want to I want to take the guy that I know is going to get 20 touches. Mm -hmm. Malcolm Brown could get 10 catches here. You could get 15 or 20 touches from somebody else. I just I have no idea how this is going to work out, so I'm staying away from the running backs. Yeah, I kind of agree. Robert Woods, the guy, I got my eye on because of the yards after catch numbers for him. Like he's been so good making his own points. That's the guy to me that like I'm circling him. He's going to be. I don't care how much the roster percentage is, I'm going to have it. All right, fourth down with Benny before we kick. Out of here. Uh, look, Buffalo Bills at Arizona Cardinals. 
Dude, Kyler Murray's been out of his mind. This is a battle of two guys in that MVP race. The total on FanDuel right now is 56 for this number. This is another one to me I want to be all in on, and I want all the Kyler Murray. But look, also, Christian Kirk has five touchdowns in the last four games. I don't think people realize that. <laughs> I think people got to start understanding that he's spreading it around a little bit more. So what's your point here on this game? Talk to me about this one, Buffalo and Arizona. Yeah, so here's my point with the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray is the number one quarterback in fantasy football right now. It's the most fantasy points of any quarterback up to this point. They're also the fastest-paced offense in the league right now. So this is a team that's going to get a lot of plays in. They're going to put up a lot of fantasy points. They're going to put up a lot of points, period. And then you mentioned a guy that I love, Christian Kirk, on the other side, 6,300 on Fandle. That's the pairing that I want to use to start off my lineups this week. You figure it's going to be a really tough matchup on the other side for DeAndre Hopkins. Not that DeAndre Hopkins can't produce, but it's going to be a tough matchup for him on the other side of that game. So Christian Kirk seems to be the guy who is going to be the one that gets the big points there. You look at Stephon Diggs on the other side of that game, you put those two guys together with Kyler Murray, that's how I'm going to be starting my FanDuel lineup this week. I'm with you, brother. The leader in targets is a good way to start. And uh, obviously the newest member of FTN, Benny Ricciardi. Follow him on Twitter, at BennyR11. Benny, always a pleasure hanging out with you, my friend. May all of your uh, picks be winners this week. We'll see you next week. More fantasy sports today right after this. Don't go anywhere. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. I know in my fantasy football league, one of them was daunting task on Monday, waking up in the morning, seeing a loss, and then seeing I have to replace four players that are on by this week. So don't know how I'm going to do that. So the best way to take a look is at the waiver wire going into week 10, Joe, of the NFL. And uh, look, certainly it's getting really thin as far as far as the pick of are concerned. <laughs> um, you know, the one, the one thing this year, as opposed to years past, before we dive into this, is is there to this date? Would you say that there has been a, like a very big pickup in fantasy football this year? That's that's really done well. Like usually every year, isn't there a guy that just takes off about halfway through the season and wins a league? But well, there really I think James. So far, I think the biggest waiver wire guy was week one still in James Robinson. I mean, I think that's the guy you could point to, especially having the bounce back week yeah. this past two weeks. Yeah, he's been better. He had a little ebb and flow there where he started off like a house on fire and then obviously came back to earth for a couple games. And then the last two games for him has been much better. But yeah, you're kind of right there. I mean, there hasn't been a lot. There's been moments. There's been guys that have come up there, had a good game or two. Uh, there's been guys, too, that everybody coveted and then disappointed. And I think that's also something to uh, recognize, too. And this is a weird week in particular because you're getting some more guys back. You're getting Miles Sanders back, potentially. You're getting Nick Chubb back, potentially. So now all of a sudden, the waiver wire might be a really interesting place where some of this talent might get jettisoned. We mentioned on yesterday's show that last week when CMC came back, 25% of the ownership of Mike Davis went down. And I think that was a little premature. And I would warn all the people who have Boston Scott. I would warn some of those other people to be careful. Let's wait and see a little bit because now we got Christian McCaffrey. You might talk a little bit more about this. Doesn't look like he's going to be playing this weekend in week nine because of that shoulder injury. So it's really tough. You want to be a little patient here. I understand sometimes you get squeezed with buys. I get all that. But let's take a look at the running backs here and see where we are right now on that landscape. Because as Craig mentioned, it's getting thin out there right now. We're in double digit weeks here. We're in week 10. Gus Edwards, I told you about weeks and weeks ago, 
and he's still only 37%. I think you got to have this guy right now. He's getting a fair amount of the carry lurk load, and I think it's just crazy at this point that it's only 30. He should be well above 50%, I think, at this point in time, considering what Baltimore is. And I understand it's frustrating. I understand he had a fumble the other day, but still... Let's live in the reality. And the reality is J.K. Dobbins still hasn't run away with his job, unfortunately, despite two weeks ago looking really good against the Steelers. Tony Pollard is getting more of that shared workload in Dallas as well, Craig. Wayne Gallman has looked okay in games. He's got a much better matchup this week against the Eagles than he did in some other weeks previously. Jordan Wilkins, I know a lot of people are out there trying to pick him up, but you look at the percentage, it's basically a three-way even split right now in terms of snap count between him, between uh, Jonathan Taylor, and between Naheem Hines. So that is not good for anybody. Nobody's winning at this point. Uh, J.D. McKissick, especially in full-point PPRs at 24%, I think is a must-add. I really do. I think he's actually kind of intriguing this week in Daily Fantasy as well on FanDuel when you're talking about the matchup against Detroit, too, and what they're going to end up doing. And then you got Duke Johnson, which if David Johnson is, again, unable to go, and we don't have certainty about that right yet, he becomes the default guy. Is it a great ad? No. But I got to say, on this list, to me, it's Gus Edwards and McKissick that stand out. For you, are there any names in particular that you think can really help teams in Week 10 and maybe possibly beyond? Yeah, well, there's a few things that I would add. And and I used, actually, Gus Edwards in DFS, so I did give him a shot. He did score a touchdown last week. I don't own him in any fantasy league. And honestly, um, I, I would. I would pick him up and start him. But the thing is that if Ingram comes back on Sunday night, you know, I will not feel good about that. I may have to make a decision before Sunday. If I if I knew Ingram was active with Edwards and with Dobbins, I, I, I don't know that I could start him at all. Uh, I actually like the, the last two guys here. I like McKissick and Johnson. McKissick because of the dump-off passing, and it looks like if Alex Smith is quarterback, that's what's going to happen. PPR, you're getting 10 points from McKissick, even right. if he does nothing else. And, and then Duke Johnson just on volume alone. Look, Duke Johnson, we've seen now for seven years – and we know who he is. He's going to get 20 carries. He's going to get 60 yards. He's going to catch four or five passes. And in this fantasy football season, that is a running back too. So mm. if, if there is no David Johnson, then absolutely Duke Johnson is the guy. I honestly uh, wonder who is behind Duke Johnson. That, that to me may be a little <laughs> bit more, even more interesting because Honestly, you know how I feel about David Johnson, and I wonder if Houston has a third guy of any kind to eventually like come in, maybe shock somebody, and then, you know, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to look into that uh, for tomorrow's show. Uh, okay, let's go through the wide receivers here. And for Green Bay, Alan Lazard is now back, so his ownership is probably about where it should be, 38%, maybe a little higher. Curtis Samuels got a big jump after his week last week. Aguilar at at twenty four percent, he's gone up. Uh, Rager at twenty four percent. Jacoby Myers at twelve percent. But by the time tomorrow comes, uh, that's that's going to be half owned. Everyone's going to pick him up. Uh, Darnell Mooney seems to just keep continue to get targets with with the Bears. I had no idea who this guy was, and he's just getting targets every week. Mims at six percent. Rashad Perriman at seven percent. And I know that there was a report yesterday that said Pirine, the running back on the Jets, is going to get more opportunities in the final eight games. And maybe this will happen also with the Jets wide receiver and Denzel Mims. At least that's what you could hope if you're picking him up this week. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I want to go and touch on real quick about Darnell Mooney, if I may, because uh, if you recall, we had a discussion about him after that Thursday night game against Tampa. 
And we said, look, you know, that guy looks really good in Atari because not a lot of things look good in the Bears offense. But Mooney was very encouraging. And it might be at the cost, ultimately, of Anthony Miller, which I know really disappoints a lot of people. And I can understand that. The, the Bears have a lot of issues right now. And I think Mooney is a, a very intriguing ad in some of the deeper formats. If you're playing in 14-team leagues, 16-team leagues, this is a guy you really should have on your roster at this point because I think there's upside here as we go on. And who knows? In the last couple weeks of the season, maybe you do get a quarterback change. Maybe that does lift the offense. I don't know. Nobody knows. All we can tell is that there's something here with Darno Mooney that we have to pay attention to, and it's worth uh, adding. And another guy, too, who didn't even make the list is K.J. Hamler, who had a really good week last week. He's a really nice slot wide receiver, a really nice guy to, I would say, uh, add in those full-point PPR leagues, those deeper leagues, because he's a guy that's going to be more of a possession kind of guy. Seems to be working a nice tandem along with Jerry Judy on the outside, Hamler on the inside there in the slot. I really like KJ Hamler, too. Keep an eye on him, even Daily Fantasy also. But look, you can't ignore the Jets guys anymore. If you picked them up last week, you did good. Now you're going to have to pay more for them. Mims and Perryman are both guys I pick up. You're right. Myers is going to more than triple his rostered percentage, I would say, uh, this time tomorrow when all the waivers process in most leagues. Right. Rager, I was actually kind of shocked that he was still just at around 25%. That kind of surprised me. And I guess it's just the negativity of shaking off the injuries and, and the disappointment. And you got to you gotta shake that stuff off. As a fantasy football owner, you can't keep living in the past. You get one game a week to get everything right. You got to figure that out. So shake that off. Forget about that. Buy back in. He's got some good matchups. The rest of the offense starting to get healthier. If the running game can get back on track too, that helps Jalen Rager as well. But Jacoby Myers is going to be the hot name this week. We all know that. But I would certainly look at, don't forget about Aguilar. Don't forget about Darnell Mooney. And don't forget about KJ Hamler. Those are guys in the deeper leagues that I would really be targeting this week. I think you can actually play all of them in the matchups they've got respectively. And uh, I think they all have upside here for the second half of the NFL season. All right, let's uh, kick it on over to t uh, tight ends and quarterbacks as we close this out. We've got Austin Hooper at 41%. We'll have to keep an eye on Baker Mayfield this week. I know that he's been working virtually. I think that's what the report was, but we'll see if he ends up playing. Ross Dwelly, the tight end, who we discussed a little last week from San Francisco at 8% owned. Drew Locke at quarterback, maybe an interesting shot here. If you just go by the second half of both games, <laughs> the last two games, he'd, he'd be one great quarterback, but you know, gotta, gotta have it for a full game, hopefully this week. And then Alex Smith at 1%, you have to be in a real desperate spot. I think Joe to, to start him. Yeah. And to answer your earlier question, buddy, Howell is the backup to Duke Johnson. FAU's own buddy Howell. buddy Howell. So there you go. So just in case you wanted to, uh, uh all, all I'm saying is maybe this, this week, let's just keep an eye. Didn't buddy Howell play a little last year too. Did he, he play a little? He, like he played did. a little this year too, I think. Right. Or no, no, he hasn't, hasn't played last all this year, year. Buddy Howell may have played a little bit. Either that I or think, we I, talking I, about him. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what happened was Lamar Miller got hurt before the season mm -hmm. started. They didn't have anyone. And right. it was Buddy Howell or uh, Foreman, right? Oh, and then they ended up signing Hyde. Yeah, they released Foreman. They released Foreman, I think, the week before, actually. That, yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, we digress. Oh, we'll go back to the. Buddy Howell, you know, look, I, hey. look I, I'm out on David Johnson completely. So, you know. Well, we were all out on David Johnson. And the funny thing, the one thing you can hang your hat with David Johnson was, well, at least he's playing every day. He's playing every week. I mean, he's there's been no healthy. ceiling. It's it's he's been yeah. healthy. He's been he's been 13 points and healthy, which you can argue 
has value in this season. And I think the people that took a chance on him later have done okay. I think the ones that reached for him did not do okay, despite the fact of him being there. I think it all depends on what the ADP was. And right. for me, it, it had to be a much lower well, price. Yeah, than I'll, what I'll end with David him. Johnson with this. Net 2021, knowing what you know now, over, under, eighth round drafted for David Johnson next year. Over or under? Uh, gosh. Um, he will go under, but I will not touch him there. <laughs> yeah. He will. All right, they so will. Uh, apparently the fantasy community is not going to. It, it also depends on what the Texans do and where they end up and if he's back there or I don't think he's like that. I think he's cut. Oh, well, and, cut. and that's the thing. Like all of a sudden, if he becomes part of this committee of other guys, then it's going to be after eighth. Like that. That's the cap. Crazy. That, that guy. Has there been a running back that's declined? So I guess Gurley's the other one. But but David Johnson really declined super fast, man. Like I I, mean, I think we're onto something with the Gurley conversation that we had about Ezekiel Elliott the other day. I think that's a conversation that if you missed it, you need to go back and watch FSD on demand from the other day and peep that conversation because Craig and I were talking about something that might be more real than people understand. And it might be a realization that we have to kind of, we're fighting against because we don't want it to happen, but we have to be at least acknowledging that it could be possible that Ezekiel Elliott is becoming a touchdown dependent RB2 as opposed to closer to the top five overall pick. And that is just a reality we have to understand. Now, let's see what the rest of the season brings. Let's see what happens. But it's something to understand. Going back to the tight ends here real quick. Austin yeah. Hooper, look, the fact that he's back healthy. Uh, and and apparently today, uh, it looks like, um, I was just looking at that too. Apparently today, it does look like you are going to get Baker Mayfield back at practice today. So that's positive. So he is off the virtual learning. He is now a hybrid student, as they call it, for all those parents out there who have their kids at home schooling. So he is now a hybrid learner. Um, Ross Dwelly, again, it's streaming tight end season. This is where you're at. I also wonder too, at this point, his name's not on the list, but in a deeper league, if you're just crushed for tight end right now, what about Taysom Hill? What about taking a flyer on Taysom Hill with now Michael Thomas back in that Saints offense? I kind of wonder about that. I, I know it sounds a little crazy, but considering some of these names that we're talking about right here, I don't know if it's any crazier than that because you know where he gets used the most. He's in the red zone. That's the area where yeah. he gets the most opportunity. So why not flip a coin there if you're desperate this week for maybe a little Taysom Hill as well? Yeah, the other name that we didn't discuss here that seemed to be picked up in, in one of the leagues that I played in and uh, budget-wise went for a lot was Corderell Patterson of the Bears. And mm -hmm. I, I guess with David Montgomery potentially being out, Tariq Cohen also being out, and I don't know what his percentage is, but I would guess – that there'll be another name that we're not talking about well, on the Bears Nall. It's Ryan Nall and it's him. Those are the two names, and neither yeah. are very exciting. We could go talk about Buddy Howell some more if we're going to talk about those guys. <laughs> yeah. But, but look, Patterson could get 10 carries, you know, and 50 yards maybe. So, I mean, look, I, I don't know. It, it's a desperate situation for running back, but he, Patterson mm -hmm. was a heavily picked up player, at least in the leagues that, that I saw this morning. Okay, coming up next, it's time for us to do a little fantasy trivia. And then you'll want to stay tuned because our full Masters preview is coming up. Rick Gaiman from RunRickGood.com is coming on the show. Uh, RickRunGood.com, excuse me. And he is going to break down everything from who you should be betting on at the Masters to how you build a DFS lineup at the Masters to who may be making the cut at the Masters. All of the information that you need before you go on to FanDuel this weekend, he will provide to you. Also, Dr. David Chow with the latest on injuries in the NFL as well. So make sure you stay tuned. You can follow us on Twitter at SportsGrid, and we'll be back with some fantasy trivia before we wrap up the first hour of our show. So stay on the grid. We'll be right back. 
BetOnline.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. We'll have our Masters preview coming up in about 20 minutes from now. Also a visit from Dr. David Chow on all the NFL injuries coming up here in week 10 of the NFL. But we always end our first hour with a little bit of fantasy football trivia. So, Joe, what do we got today? Well, we got a little tight end action for you today. And obviously, tight end is normally dominated by the big three, which used to have Zach Ertz, but I think we can now put Darren Waller. So it's no surprise that in fantasy points per game in PPR leagues that the big three at the top, it's Kelsey, it's Kittle, and it's Waller. But this season in 2020, my friend, who is fourth with 12.8 full point PPR fantasy points per game? Who's number four on the board? You want to take a crack at this one? I don't even get A, B, C, D today. Wow. It's really well, I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. You went to Iowa. Uh, Hawkinson. That is correct. Well done. And that was a trick question, actually, a little trick hint, because the guy after him is Noah Fant. That's right. Noah Fant is actually fifth overall in fantasy points per game. A lot of people don't realize that in the full point PPR. The guy's been steady. I got steady, one right. Not, I mean, that's the big exactly. today. I did give you a good hint. Maybe that's I mean, how I, I did narrow trivia. You just don't give A, B, C, D. It's the only way I get it. Well, I, I always, whenever there is no A, B, C, I always give you a hint. And I did give you a hint. And it was two tight ends. In all that fairness, we were easy. right there next to It was too easy. Yeah. But, yeah. You gave well, it away, I, basically, because I, I was going to say Noah Fant, because I like him better than Hawkinson. But then I remembered that Fant's been hurt. And Hawkinson has been pretty good lately. So but this was fantasy points per game. So it wasn't total fantasy points. So we're talking about average. We're yeah. talking about when they're on the field, how they're doing. And I think because he's even played more, it's even more impressive where Hawkinson is. And we were talking about him earlier this week as a guy on, on Monday's recap show. Say, hey, pay attention to this trend here. He's trending in the right direction. And this is yet another thing that I want folks to go out there and realize that going into next year, this might be the guy that makes that jump from the lower end of tight end one to the middle to upper tier of tight end one. And it's something to keep an eye on in dynasty and keeper leagues as well. He's playing well. If the Lions people are still in charge now, uh, then that are in charge now, that's the problem there. Because Patricia drafted Hawkinson, and I would guess he won't be there (laughs) to see him succeed if he does next year. So. All right, we got uh, hour two coming up. Our headlines coming up. Lead us on Christian McCaffrey. Don't go away. Fantasy sports. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.